0: This is our last episode of the season. Oh no, what will we do? I mean, we'll be all right. I just, <laughs> I feel for you lovely listeners. Welcome to our last. The final countdown. Oh boy, <laughs> we're going to start a music no, label. That's right. I
1: do not need to be singing, but don't worry. We're coming out with another season in the fall. But yes, this is the last season of the, whatever this current season is. We need to like name them. What's It's going the on last episode
0: of season three. Season three. Oof. You got it. You're right there. You're so on it. Yeah, we're actually recording this on July 26th because August is going to go by so quickly. And we got some sad news that Felicia shared on our Slacks today. So we thought we would chat a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, and again, for anyone who's listening, who's like, who even is talking? This is Felicia. That was this Rachel. is Rachel. <laughs> but yeah, you know, we were just chatting before we started hitting record, and so we figured we'd bring it into the pod intro. But we learned that Sinead O'Connor passed away, and you know, we Rachel and I were chatting a bit about our feels, and I had just shared that you know I feel a little sad because you asked me <laughs> what do I know about her. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, I'm I'm familiar with her I'm a little younger than she was but I vividly remember the whole SNL debacle where she got on stage and ripped the Pope's photo you know we can chat more about it but I really just as a TLDR believe that she was so ahead of her time and like punk and just out
0: there saying the truth and we did not appreciate her for that so I feel yeah I do, too. And I had to look it up to see when that happened. So that it looks like it happened in 1992. Mm. She was on Saturday Night Live. She was the musical guest and she ripped a picture of the Pope. She had a really hard life, even up to recently. Her son passed away Mm. last year. And I think she was just too good for this world. I don't think that she was meant to be. I mean, this is a tough place when everything's sort of going your way. But then if you've got a lot of systems, you know, that you are seeing that are just constantly, you know, in your way of being who you want to be, I can see how it could be just so difficult. But, you know, fun fact, you know, uh, her famous song, Nothing compares to you. I was actually just listening to it because it's been a minute. And it's just, you know, her and Prince, right? It's just like match made in heaven. And who knows? Not that I believe in heaven necessarily, but maybe they're two souls that are just hanging out. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what's out there. You and I
1: hung out recently and (laughs) we did this, uh, I won't get too into it, but we did an activity where we were like connecting with the universe. So I've been thinking a lot about that. And I, you know, I don't know if I believe in heaven either. I'm not technically, I don't consider myself, you know, religious in any sense, but I was raised Catholic. My mom is Hindu you know, I've got all sorts of people in my family believing all sorts of different things. I consider myself more spiritual, but I do like the idea of this idea of like that there's energy out there. So maybe, you know, her and princess energy is like, they're hanging out, making amazing music together.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I'll (laughs) put that out there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, like to go back on what you were saying though, I think it's her, you know, sort of her experience and her story is like such an example of speaking truth to power and, what happens when society isn't quite there to support. I think that if she had done something like that today, it would be received very, very differently. Yeah,
0: Um, definitely. And of course,
1: you know, we've had so much happen since then, since 1992, my God. But, you know, talking about like, more exposes coming about about sexual abuse within the church, right? The discussion of Irish people as being oppressed, where we didn't even talk about that. Really, I mean, actually, that's not true. We did talk about it, but not in the same way. And in, in that, at that point in time, and yeah, it's just it's so interesting to see how things change over time. And you know, people sometimes are out of place in and when they are, but it doesn't that's mean right. that you shouldn't still say the things and do the things.
0: That's right. That's right. So R I P. Truly. Sinead so not to abruptly switch topics but people probably uh, aren't here we listen gonna do to do that our- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure to add a little sound effect <laughs> boy, Record you know, that, scratch. Good <laughs> that was that was very close to <laughs> great oh, boy <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: anyway, let's, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll shift gears we'll talk about our guest for today. So, our guest today is Luke Lennon, who's a product manager at Visible Hands and founder of an organization called Namesake Collaborative. And I don't even remember how I got connected to Luke on LinkedIn, but that's how the initial connection happened. And so, it was such a lovely conversation. We talked mm-hmm. about the startup scene in Boston, being a founder, investing in BIPOC entrepreneurs, the namesake collaborative, and how hard it is to get your name changed, especially as a trans
0: person. Like, honestly, yeah, shocking. Shocking. And a whole lot more. Yeah. So, yeah. It was yeah. a really lovely conversation. And Luke is doing really good and important work. So, really excited for this combo. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Felicia. So we have a great guest
1: today and I'm just going to jump right on into it because we got questions and let's get some answers. (laughs) Hi, Luke. Uh, Hi, Luke.
2: (laughs) Hello. Hello. Happy to be here.
1: Yeah, we're happy to have you. So for listeners, our guest today is Luke Lennon, product manager at Visible Hands. So we're thrilled to have you and let's just jump on in and find out like who you are and what you're all about. But you have been involved in the startup scene for a while, but why don't you just start with telling us a little bit about you and your journey?
2: Yeah. So, journey has been pretty meandering, and I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I'm a writer turned educator turned somehow business school graduate, and then kind of pivoted into the startup world shortly after that. And Started my time at Mass Challenge, a uh, Boston based accelerator with global locations, equity free, and really focused on supporting a range of founders. And that was my first foray into the startup world. I had kind of known I'd always wanted to work in the startup scene, mostly because I'm a um, more creative person, I think, that doesn't love authority and doesn't love rules. And um, yeah, you're you know, like I, the perfect person <laughs> for startups. <then>? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I found some community in this group of people and, um, you know, spent three and a half years at Mass Challenge and then made my own kind of entrance into the startup world as a founder myself and now I'm at Visible Hands, which is a accelerator focused on underrepresented entrepreneurs. So yeah, I'm happy to dive in more to any of that, but that's kind of been the journey so far.
0: I love it. Well, I can certainly appreciate someone who doesn't like to follow rules. It's literally why Felicia and I have our own business because we can't.
1: <laughs> we're like such rule breakers and we're like, well, oh, I guess no one else wants us at this point.
0: <laughs> and like, well, it's funny, literally out of nowhere, my husband just the other day was like, you are never going to be able to work for a company again. And I was like, that's really... I was like, really? Are you sure? He's like, no, you can't. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I get it. Which I get we should dig it. into
1: you, Luke, more because I'm actually curious yeah. about the, the trajectory. Like, what did you found first, then join Visible Hands? We're yeah. going to get into it. But yeah. you know, if you have thoughts around that, that sort of dynamic, definitely let us know.
0: Well, and we know Visible Hands is... Justin Kang is like, you know, certainly a friend of SGO and of ours from from way before the pandemic. So it's really exciting to see that he's got this incredible company. I would just love to learn more about Visible Hands and and what you do as a product manager for this company.
2: Yeah, it's been cool to watch Justin, Daniel, Yasmin all grow Visible Hands to where it is now. I remember while I was at Mass Challenge, kind of hearing rumblings of what they were cooking up, and to see it now and the way that Visible Hands has grown nationally and been become such a respected brand has is really like. Founder to Founder is a really inspiring journey, and I think that they very much lead with their values and ethics at the center of it, you know, in trying to change this system, uh, particularly around VC funding. And so I'm just really grateful to be part of it. I originally participated actually as a founder in the Visible Hands Visionaries Accelerator last year with my company, Namesake Collaborative. Which I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit. But even from the start of my experience as a participant in Visible Hands, I was like, this is different from the way they're so thoughtful about how the founders come together, how we learn about each other, how we learn about each other beyond just our companies and really as people, and how that speaks to like the long-standing community that then we can create with founders from across the country you know one thing that stood out to me i remember during the visionaries accelerator they flew us all out to tulsa oklahoma first of all which was something entirely different right? yeah. we're a lot of new york city based boston based bay area based founders and we're like all like we're going to Tulsa and to like be able to, you know, learn more about like the rich history of Black Wall Street and just how much innovation has happened in Tulsa was really an inspiring way and very inspiring way to start the program. And it, also, you know, kind of reiterated to us like this weight that we're carrying as founders, especially as underrepresented founders and what that means for, you know, future founders and the future of our ecosystem. So that was already like a really cool and different way to start it. But they also welcomed any founder that had a partner and children to bring children and provide free childcare so that, As a founder with kids, you didn't have to worry about the trade-offs of participating, you know, and trying to grow your company and also making sure that, you know, you're an active parent and supportive parent. And little details, little thoughtful details like that are really why I then, when I got the opportunity to join Visible Hands as a product manager, was like, hell yes, And so now I'm fortunate enough to be leading the Visible Hands Boston Fellowship, which is actually wrapping up next week, but working with 20 incredible companies at the earliest stages of building, which is super exciting and fun. Yeah, just really humbled to be part of it.
1: That's awesome to hear about the family support and childcare, because I feel like that's such a great example of something that... I feel like it's it's twofold, right? Like on the surface, it might be considered minor, but for a lot of organizations, it actually might be a, a relatively fair, significant cost. But you're right, it can be such a boundary or not even boundary, such a barrier for people who are like, what am I supposed to do? I can't just hop on a plane and go out for however long because I have all these things that are, I'm dealing with on a personal level. So I love that that's one example of how Visible Hands is thinking about that because I know that, the organization talks a lot about inclusive and equitable investing. And I feel like that's a great sort of like put your money where your mouth is not to use a financial metaphor for a financial investment firm, but here we are. But can you talk a little bit more about sort of your current role with the Boston Fellowship and, you know, maybe for listeners who might not know that much about what a firm like Visible Hands does, like what are you all actually sort of engaged in with the founders that you're supporting? And what does the Boston Fellowship with the folks that you mentioned, like what are they doing as part of that that program with you all?
2: Yeah, so it's been, at my time at Mass Challenge, I helped launch our FinTech Accelerator there and ran a lot of the programming for the founders in that program. And so it's been really cool to, bring that experience, but now coupled with firsthand experience of actually being on the other side of things as a founder and trying to like bring those learnings together to offer something to this cohort of folks. And so Visible Hands has a variety of different Programs and offerings. You know, we have uh, New York-based programs. We have more national programs, and then this Boston Fellowship was the first one we ran specifically in Boston, which I think is especially meaningful given that this is kind of Boston is where things started for Visible Hands, and so practically what that looks like over the ten weeks of programming is one, we give capital investment. So certain programs, we provide more like equity based investment, like a traditional VC, but for other programs such as Visible Hands Boston, we provide grant funding. So every participant gets $10,000 grant through our work with the Bar Foundation and their racial equity initiative. And in addition to that funding, then we provide 10 weeks of support. And my goal really kind of bringing the empathy into the experience has been, you know, at this early of a stage for companies, I feel like there's a wealth of advice, some good, some not so good, right? And there's kind of this feeling of just being on a treadmill and the speed just going up and up and up and up. And so the goal with the 10 weeks, from my perspective, has really been like, how can we get y'all to slow down and really think thoughtfully about how you're building your company before you spend time, capital, other people's time, other people's capital potentially in building something that then you might want to rebuild. And that's not to say that, you know, you're not going to iterate and pivot a million times over. That's definitely going to happen, right? But how can we think about really testing the riskiest hypotheses around your business early on so that you can really set you up for growth later on? And that approach Really did come from some of the work of my now fellow colleagues at Visible Hands and how I participated in the Visionaries Accelerator to really take some of those learnings that I gathered from that and then apply them through like my lens for the 10 weeks of this program. So we bring in, you know, different speakers, supporters, folks that know way more than I do to help provide different perspectives with the goal of just kind of reiterating the fact that there's no one way to build.
0: So Luke, that was fascinating. I got a question, I got a follow, actually like three follow-up questions, but I'm gonna just stick with this one for now, which is, so you were talking about the slow build. And when I think about VC funding, I think it's so contrary to the way VCs operate, which is there's so much pressure to go fast, like what you were saying. So it's really amazing that you're able to say like, okay, go slow to build. And we talk about that too from like building culture within a company too. It's like really important to sort of go slow and build. It's just so contrary to VC. Are you finding any sort of resistance or pushback from sort of other outside forces beyond the visible hands community?
2: Yeah. I will say, you know, slow versus fast. I feel like I don't believe in any binary. So there's definitely, you know, the in between there. But I think the difference is like building. Slowly with intention means making decisions, likely making decisions, many small decisions all the time really quickly, but you're doing it in a way where you know what the questions are that you're making the decisions about versus just making various decisions, maybe running around, doing various things, but then kind of ultimately looking back and being like, okay, I'm moving a lot. But what is the traction that I'm actually making? What's the traction I actually want to make? So being intentional, I think, about how you're growing and how you want to grow. And that doesn't negate the fact that most of the founders that we're working with, money is always top of mind. Capital is always top of mind getting connections to investors, pitching to investors. That's always, you know, on the top three needs, wants, et cetera. So I think the best that we can do from our seat of visible hands is help folks feel supported, seen, and really surrounded by a community of people that want to help them succeed with those other investors, with those other communities, customers, et cetera. Knowing that, you know, especially from, my seat, like not being an investor on the team, I can really try to be more of that supportive listener for any founder who can be really transparent and honest with me about the wins and maybe the challenges as well. And I think it's really important to have to have someone or multiple people in that corner as a founder.
0: I love that. that and both Flish and I just love that you were like, don't believe in any binary. So thank you. Know, love that.
1: Like I'm gonna like take that and use yeah. that phrase. I mean, so true and, and love how you put it. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, that was fantastic. And I and I have a just a quick follow-up too to that. I'm curious, as we've seen sort of the landscape changing in our space a little bit. I'm wondering if you're experiencing that too. Are you seeing anything changing based on, you know, what's sort of going on politically in the world and economically in the country?
2: As it relates to funding?
0: Yeah, as it relates to funding. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, what I'm seeing and as both someone that, you know, is exploring what investment looks like for namesake, but also someone that's helping other founders pursue funding. You know, I think the risk tolerance has changed the expectations At different stages has changed. So whereas previously, I think you saw folks really being successfully able to raise on an idea, and I'll put a huge asterisk on that, because, (laughs) you know, the people raising on an idea is probably a specific segment of people. But will also say that I have seen the expectations around pre-seed and even angel funding go from that like potentially being an idea stage to being like, okay, let's see your product and market. Do you have customers? Are you generating revenue? And I think hopefully we're trying to settle back down into maybe a more normal, uh, quote unquote, but I think I'm still seeing a lot of founders struggle In that space, and also seeing like emerging fund managers also struggling as a result of you know a lot of the different like bank closures and and what have you. So you know it's tough out there for all of us right now.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, and I'm like,
1: (laughs) I feel like it's also the elephant in the room of Silicon Valley banks collapse, and that must have been a huge ripple for you all, given the space that you're in. But if you have thoughts on that, definitely happy to come back. But I do want to pull on a thread that you mentioned a few times already, which is, first of all, you're a founder of Namesake Collaborative, and you've mentioned that. And so my sense of Namesake Collaborative is that it streamlines identity management for transgender, non-binary, and gender expansive folks, so that there is a reduction in barriers to healthcare, wealth building, et cetera. So I would love to learn more about that, how you came up with it, anything else, have I gotten it right? (laughs) Anything else around, you know, sort of what you're doing, what stage you're at, what you're focused on would be
2: great. Yeah. I started Namesake a little over two years ago, and it came from basically this problem not leaving me alone, which was my legal name and gender marker change. I had changed my name and gender marker while I was at Mass Challenge, and it was a nightmare. And I was seeing all of these solutions in the space focused on digitizing paper heavy processes, a lot of them in like FinTech and SureTech, right? Like these companies that I was sourcing for Mass Challenge, I was like, huh, like that, it seems like they're dealing with a lot of similar challenges as to what I went through as a trans person changing my name, even in a progressive state like Massachusetts. And at the same time, I think I convinced myself, uh, I don't think I could be a founder. I don't think that I don't even know where to start. But then about a year or year and a half later, I was trying to buy a used truck. And I don't know why I was trying to buy a used truck in the first place, but that's neither here nor there. I think I was feeling like I wanted to like Feel masculine and have a truck or something, but we won't get into that. But I went to take out a loan and at the dealership, they kept asking me, Are you sure you're entering your information correctly? Like, is this your social security number? Is this your name? And and I was like, Yes, so, like I know that. Like, I'm pretty sure backs. I know who I am.
1: Thanks yeah. so much.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But as a trans person, I think you get questioned a lot of do you know who you are? Right. So I ultimately had to out myself to the dealership, upon which then talking to the their like partner banks, etc., they realized that it wasn't. In the system at all. And so it came to be that I was credit visible or very credit thin due to my name change and due to not reporting that to the credit bureaus. Now, if you change your name as a due to marriage or other reasons, you do not need to report anything to the credit bureaus. But if you're trans, you do. And you need to send basically a packet of every identifying document that you could ever have. So basically a packet that if someone received it, they would have the key to your identity and you need to let the credit bureaus know that you are who you say you are. And that was just one of the kind of ripple effects of name changes that I had not even considered. Frankly, I thought, Hey, I know this problem is continuing to like come up in weird ways through my life, but like none that I feel like I can't overcome. Yet this one was like, well, okay, now I can't buy a truck didn't end up buying a car, probably, you know, blessing in disguise, but for many folks where that could, could have been an emergency loan, emergency personal loan or something else where then they would have just received predatory rates. That to me was a sign of, okay, like name change is one thing, but this is a problem with many different layers to it that I haven't really seen a tech solution try to tackle. And so I was inspired to give it a go.
0: Wow. I have to say, I did not know that. I really thought that the name change would be similar to if someone got married. So that is wild. And I'm so sorry that you had to go through that and that so many other people have to go through that. And I'm just curious, well, how is it going? How is namesake going? Do you feel like you're a lot of folks are using it? Can we tell everyone about it? We are telling everyone. We're going to tell more people okay. about it. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you one more really weird thing that most trans folks have to go through for name changes. I mean, in some states, you know, it varies really widely state to state, even county to county, the process itself. In many states, you still require a fingerprinting. But in Massachusetts, for example... You actually have to publish your name change in the newspaper because back in the what? day, this. I mean,
1: this, sorry, holy shit, I had no idea. That's like olden times. What?
2: Yes, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Truly. And the reason being because they were afraid that folks would travel state to state changing their names to avoid debt.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, gosh. Or the
2: law Yeah. I mean, you know, and the funny thing, not funny and not so funny is that you literally need to cut, like get a, the paper in print wherever you decided to publicize this, which there aren't many papers left in print and it's not cheap to publicize a name change in the newspaper. So you need to actually pay
1: for that. You can't just call them up and be like, Hey, can you put this in? Thanks so much. Oh my God.
2: (laughs) Yep. And you actually have to cut it out Staple it to another piece of paper and then mail Perfect. it. Like Sorry a now. ransom
1: note. Like what? <laughs> I'm literally picturing like, like the credit bureau opening up like an envelope with like every letter cut out of the newspaper, being like, "My name is now." I know it's not funny, but that's so wild. Wow. That's I had no idea. Yeah.
2: yeah. And so luckily in Massachusetts, you can motion to waive that from the court, but in some states you can't. And you know, so there's just a lot of like navigating really complex, really archaic systems and especially vulnerable time. Like not every trans person wants to change their name legally. And there's no like you're trans enough no matter what. (laughs) But you know, for me, it was a matter of like really addressing some of those barriers that I saw, like, and honestly, like safety for me to legally Ah. change my name and have IDs that match my presentation because over a quarter of folks, I think report being harassed, denied benefits or services asked to leave just because their ID doesn't match their presentation at the time. And I have definitely had that happen to me firsthand. And so really like we're trying to, Make this process easier for folks that want it. Make it affirming for folks that want it. And we've to do so partnered with the Massachusetts Trans Political Coalition, mm-hmm. one of actually the oldest trans-led advocacy organizations in the country, mm-hmm. to bring this to life. And I wouldn't namesake would not be where it is today without MTPC. So I'm just really grateful for their partnership. And now we're able to offer the kind of beta version of namesake to any Massachusetts resident, adult, or young person to help them get their court petition for their name change and get all of their ID documents processed for their passport, social security card, and driver's license or state ID. And what's really been cool about that is, you know, in tandem with technology, we've been able to do a lot of name change clinics across the country to really use them as kind of like community events, ways for people to get to know each other, also resource and knowledge share, and at the same time, use technology kind of augmented in to help them better navigate these systems. And we're only in Massachusetts right now looking at what expansion nationally looks like, but even in this process so far, I've been able to work in and collaborate with folks from, you know, Kansas to California to Maryland. So, it's been a really cool journey and, you know, I'm really grateful for this meandering path.
0: That is amazing. And before we switch topics, I'm just like nerding out a little bit about like the logistics of it. So, like if someone signs up, is it sort of like a checklist that they get or or is like what is the the work that you're doing to help them out?
2: Yeah. So, we found that like many people want more hands-on support with the name change process, but they don't necessarily need a lawyer. So we're really trying to help the folks that may not need a lawyer, but do want more guidance and even just trying to figure out the order of operations, frankly. So first step, what we do is identify if folks are right for namesake, right? Because we don't owe these people's time and we're really sensitive to trans folks in particular being asked for a lot of data or a lot of input on things and not really been being given value, we determine whether they need legal support or not, if they have a unique case. And then we also determine whether they qualify for state aid because the process is so expensive. But in addition to that, even if they don't qualify for state aid, through our partnership with MTPC, MTPC is also able to provide, I think it's up to $300 reimbursement for any of the needs related to name change. So that's really huge you know, and something that that we're really proud of. And then after that, we really help autofill all of the forms that they need, and then have one dashboard where they can keep track and kind of self keep report uh, status on all of their documents. Given that many of the documents still require paper or in person filing, in addition to like the emerging e-file kind of system, but really the goal is to not only make the process easier, but then to also demystify some of the language, the jargon, and just some of the like archaic kind of like terminology, like assuming a very like cishet structure, a very like nuclear family structure. And a lot of this paperwork that we're kind of helping to just make less painful to go through, given that for many folks, picking a name is one thing, picking your own name is a weird experience that, you know, I've, can tell you firsthand. But then navigating all of these structures that were built in opposition to us is the other piece. And that's why we're here to help.
1: Wow. I, I can only imagine what an amazing resource this is for folks who are going through this kind of process. I have a question, which hopefully is not something that you've experienced, but I'm just curious, and maybe this is like the pessimist in me, but have you ever, or are you worried about What I'll call like bad actors, like people trying to kind of come into your ecosystem who aren't going through this process, who aren't trans, who are trying to like be disruptive. And I'm only asking because I feel like in today's world, it just feels like we're seeing so much more of this in spaces like this. And so I'm curious if that's come up at all or if that's something that is like a worry for you all.
2: Yeah, it's definitely something that's always top of mind for us, like from the infrastructure of the platform to the data collection, data policies. We will never share anyone's data. We will never sell anyone's data. Like that is very clear and will never change. We also, you know, in terms of access, like our platform's free through MTPC, we take a lot of steps to make sure that the community that we're building is intentional from volunteers always being part of trainings, like we take volunteer notaries, we take volunteer pro bono lawyers to build out this network of folks that you need throughout the process. And with MTPC, we make sure that folks feel prepared for that. You know, I think it's something as a founder, no matter what community you're building in, you're always kind of thinking about bad actors. Like I came from the fintech world and that's like the most paranoid world for all of this. Right. And so I think it's something that, as we continue to grow it becomes a more bigger and bigger concern but for now we've taken all the steps that we can in place and i think part of the risk of building with community is you know one getting a lot of different pieces of advice many unsolicited right but then two like potential bad actors but for me it was very important throughout this process like that community helped build it and I think that that's evident from like the evolution of our platform from the beginning to now, but it's certainly something we always think about,
1: yeah. You know, we certainly have had not, not a lot, but like we've had some stuff pop up here and there over the years with our sGO community. I feel like you put it really well. like it's just something to be aware of because there are like, you know, pardon my language, shitty people out there who <laughs> like to to jump in and and mess things up. But I also want to mention we're recording this in July, although it won't come out until August. And we just wrapped up Pride Month. And so we've seen so much corporate backlash this year with, you know boycotts of different brands. The HRC declared that it was a state of emergency for the LGBTQ plus community. And then there was a lot of really high profile issues where brands kind of like walked back support a little bit. So I'm thinking particularly of Bud Light and the Dylan Mulvaney sort of fiasco that happened as one example, although, of course, there are others. Just curious what your thoughts are on that, especially given what you've just talked about with your work as a founder through Namesync Collaborative kind of does that impact even any of the work that you're doing with visible hands? Just wondering some thoughts from you on that.
2: I will say I think this has always been going on just maybe more quietly or maybe it's just not yes. uh, <laughs> it hasn't always made the news cycle because it, things haven't been as politicized or I guess they have, but you know, it's kind of unprecedented times, just particularly for the trans community and trans youth right now. But to that end, I think most folks in the queer community, probably haven't been surprised at the just egregious acts by big brands. I will say, I think that on the bright side of things, it has shed light on smaller and growing queer led, trans led brands and organizations. Like for example, you saw with like Target taking humankind's clothing and swimwear out of their stores you actually saw Humankind then go viral and and get much more traffic, and you see like for brands like Humankind, both and you know other brands that are building like affirming swimwear and clothing for the community that I think. The queer community is extremely savvy as it relates to like consumerism. And I think that they're making now increasingly making more of those difficult decisions about like where to shop and what to support. And I think it's also a reminder to folks that like brands are not people and we need to stop like putting emotions and like values on them because they are literally something like one day someone was like, ah, yes, this is what I'll call this target. Sure. There are people behind these brands. Then there are many queer people, many trans people behind these brands, like doing work for these brands. And it's something that personally, like I think about a lot, like, you know, as like, what is my role in this like capitalist society, but If I had to take an optimistic look at this all, it's, you know, as it relates to like the brand stuff in particular, like the politics is a whole nother piece, but with, with the brand stuff in particular, I hope that we see more queer and trans folks starting businesses, growing businesses, and we see more support for queer and trans folks who want to become business owners.
0: Woo, that was a really solid answer. You're like blowing my mind also because I definitely place value on companies because and I think that a lot of people do that because we don't feel in control. And so we're like, okay, well, we can't control what government's doing. We vote, but it's like it's not enough. Gotta (laughs) because our options are not great a lot of the time. And so we vote with our dollars. And now you're like, no. And I'm here for it. And I appreciate that perspective, but I'll still probably shop at Target and not Walmart.
2: (laughs) <laughs> and hey i will probably still <laughs> shop at target too like that's I the mean, thing like, i love target humans, i'll shop at both it's fine <laughs> yeah like humans are messy people and there's so many contradictions within us and oh yes it needs to be honored and upheld like i think if we try to make ourselves have such a neat narrative like and simplify ourselves down to or strip ourselves down to like the singular narrative it's just that's not gonna serve anyone
0: Nothing's a binary, Luke.
2: <laughs> there you go.
0: That was great. So, so but I will switch because oh my gosh, this time is like flying. Okay. So you are interested in the intersections of tech, social justice, and community. I want to know how's Boston treating you? <laughs> what do you see are some maybe some challenges? What's what are they getting right? What's some opportunities? As a former Bostonian myself. Rachel's yeah. waiting for you to be like, "Well, actually San Diego is amazing if you didn't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, San Diego is perfect. Just kidding, it's not, but you know <laughs> anyway, another story, <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, Boston's interesting. So I grew up in Massachusetts. I spent a good amount of my 20s in Vermont and California and then somehow found myself back in Boston by happy accident, we'll say. I don't know. But, you know, with that, it's given me time to, I think, get to know the city in a different way. I think one of the biggest opportunities and needs for that I see with the city is like really first and foremost, just making sure that we continue to evolve the city into a place that is safe for everybody. I think there's a lot of, like, white, wealthy, progressive talk around Boston being a progressive, liberal city and, and in so many ways, most folks you talk to here would not agree. To that point, though, I think Mayor Wu has been doing a really good job of thinking about how you make sure that a city is safe and supportive of all its residents, in particular around, like, community and art and like the role that that plays in in a city and so i'm hopeful that she has put us on a solid trajectory as far as that goes but i you know definitely see more opportunities in reducing the fragmentation the segregation of boston not only in terms of geographies neighborhoods race and class but also in terms of academia it's such a unique city in the fact that, you know, how many colleges and universities do we have here? It's it's absurd. And so you look at like the population, the flux of people in and out every year due to coming in and out of school and what that means for the housing market, what that means for, you know, for jobs, businesses. It's definitely a unique place and something that I've even kind of seen how it plays out in the context of Visible Hands Boston and this founder community. And so I think. The more that we can address that segregation and fragmentation, the more opportunities will emerge, especially across different sectors. But I will so say optimistic. I'm in. Yeah, I'm optimistic. I mean, I got to be otherwise. You know, no, I mean, I'm
1: not saying that it's lovely, anything, by the way. It's, just, <laughs> it's lovely. It's Do you great. sound like you're ready
2: to run for
0: office.
1: Love <laughs> it. I'm coming I'm for like it. Mayor Woo's people, are you listening? <laughs> yeah, I know. Seriously,
2: like, do you want a name change? Out Mayor Woo's I people. Mean, um, I, <laughs> and, like, yeah.
1: really? In all seriousness, right? Yeah. yeah.
2: No, I mean, I will say the green space. The like, I live in Jamaica Plain. Um, oh, that's right I I where to, live, to
0: live. I used to live. Yeah, there. I, I
2: lived there like fifteen years ago.
0: But JP is amazing. When we got our place there, it was in twenty twelve, and I said if we leave this place where it's because we're leaving Boston and I held true to that JP is a special
2: place. Yeah. Yeah. It truly is. And you know, then, you know, asterisk on that too, but yes, correct. uh, Correct. uh,
0: I see you whole foods and I see all the other things. Yeah. There is no no perfect place. No, except for San Diego. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) Any hoodles. I'll put myself back on mute now. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, no,
1: this has been awesome, Blake, but we are, oh my gosh, getting towards the end of our time together. So I thought we could maybe switch gears a little bit, if that's cool with you. We, as you may have noticed, have a part of our name, which we love, which is the geek out part. So we like to ask all of our podcast guests what they geek out about and so what I would love to know from you is what are you into what do you geek out about that's not something that you have mentioned already so it can't be namesake collaborative visible hands and now JP because you mentioned that as well so like what beyond that are you currently geeking out
2: about well aren't you lucky because you're talking to someone with definite ADD so I get really into things uh, amazing let's hear it short amount of time (laughs) and then move on to the next. No, but I definitely found myself being someone that like, I love learning any and everything I can. I did an internship one summer during business school at Ocean Spray Cranberries. And that summer, all I could talk to people about was like how cranberries were harvested, where the name cranberry came from, how they work.
1: (laughs) I'm laughing because I also went to business school. Actually, I'm not sure where you went, but I went to BU. And I applied for an internship at Ocean Spray and they did not take me, if you can believe. Oh, no. But I did do the whole like cranberry bog tour and everything. So oh. I have mixed feelings about them, but I'm glad that you had a good time. <laughs> And we definitely I mean, I, did not overlap because, like, I'm a lot older than you, so like, it's not like you beat me off this internship or anything. But...
2: <laughs> this is really why you brought me on this podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm like, oh, finally getting revenge my revenge. Loss. Yes,
0: <laughs> I love this. Twist. Oh my god,
1: I feel <laughs> I like I love this. Twist. I feel like Rachel's probably thinking that's not out of the realm of possibility, but it's I'll not tell
0: actually. you, Felicia and I have known each other for 10 years over 10 years now, and every time we find a new fact about one another, it's always surprising. So, the fact that you apply for an internship at Ocean Spray and, were, and didn't get it is a fact that I was unaware of. So I'm done. We did it.
1: <laughs> out. But again, I, I love to make things about me. It's really not about me. It's about you. So Ocean Spray, cranberries, but like anything else? Because you did mention there's other things that you like to yes, jump from, yes, you yes. know, one thing to next. So besides that, anything else that you're currently geeking out about?
2: As I mentioned at the top of the call, I am a writer. So I'm I geek out a lot on poetry, words, et cetera. Love, yeah, could talk poets all day. I also love food and slight plug for Irene Lee's new cookbook around reducing waste, food waste that just came out. Boston founder, May Kitchen, that book I just got. And so I've been digging into kind of how to reduce food waste in my uh, humble home kitchen. But yeah, I love travel. And we, my partner and I have a dog and cat that work constantly obsessed with. So definitely. (laughs) We're
1: a pet friendly organization. You obviously can't get off this call now without telling us more about your dog and cat. So (laughs) tell us more, tell us everything, names, personalities, how old are they? Please,
2: let's hear it. <laughs> Two rescues. Hugo is our dog. He's named after one of the classic Disney queer characters, Hugo Gargoyle from Disney's version of Hunchback of Notre Dame. I believe voiced by Jason Alexander, but I'm not quite sure because he's just like a goofy guy with huge ears. Mm-hmm. And then we have a cat, Maxine, who we got her off Facebook. I feel like that says a lot about probably, like, what she's like as a cat. Um, And the two of them love each other, got her as a kitten, so he is kind of, Hugo has kind of raised her, and not to, you know, put too many human qualities upon our animals, but they play. And it's very cute. If this weren't a podcast, I would be already showing you photos on my phone. Oh
0: my gosh. I know <laughs> we might to see that. That might be the after. We might, maybe we'll just like put them on the blog posts <laughs> that goes <laughs> with it. I have a follow-up question. So tell me who or what inspires you?
2: Hmm. Wow. You stump me. It's deep. I you know. <laughs> yeah. My mom's a nurse and my dad's a carpenter. I grew up in a household that's very much like, if something's broken, my dad will fix it. If something's broken, my mom will fix it, you know, in two different kind of realms. And so that has really like I don't know if inspires the right word, but I think it has very much shaped who I am and how I think about the world for better and worse. But I'm honestly, in the work that I've been doing with namesake in particular, it's just been a really cool opportunity. Like last summer, we spent all of Pride Month going to like every weekend, going to a different Pride all across Massachusetts and getting to meet so many different like queer and trans people from across the state. Like, really was a powerful experience because I think, especially like as a trans person in tech, like I know there are a lot of us, but it can often feel lonely, you know, at any given organization. And so, Really like getting to meet more people that, you know, are being uniquely trans and queer in their own ways and seeing the various shades and like different ways that you can live that truth. It was like really beautiful to me and it inspired me to keep going with Namesake.
1: I love that. That's beautiful. (laughs) I don't know if this is a related question, but my question for you next is what's your favorite way to practice self care?
2: because this work I, is hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big bubble bath guy. <laughs> yes,
1: I <laughs> Like love I love, love
2: bubble baths.
1: <laughs> um, is it like bath or is it specifically bubble bath?
2: Well, if I had a cooler tub, I guess a bath without bubbles would be okay. But like, I have like one of those like tub shower, like old clawfoot situations, yeah. like old Boston apartment where it's like, not the most glorious. So, bubbles make it feel a little bit more luxurious.
0: I feel like, um, like I'm, I'm like seeing candles, a glass of wine. Yes. My vision. And I'm, I'm laughing because
1: um, my, <laughs> my husband is also a bathman. And I just think about it because, like, literally every night, he's like, off to my bath. And that's how he, <laughs> he practices his self-care. Wow. But he does not do bubbles. So I might have to like, maybe i will be like a gift for him, like a bubble oh, situation. Oh, bubbles.
0: Yeah. What, are like, what are those bath bombs?
2: Mm, yeah. I love a bath bomb. Yeah. Um, I'm like very much into anything outside. I don't love being inside. So anything that I can do to get outside, go to the Arboretum in JP, go on hikes, like that really resets me. So love that. Um, yeah.
0: Yay. And we have like 400 other questions, but now we don't have any time for it. So the final question is, well, we, we know about namesake. Tell us like where people can find namesake, where people can find you, anything else that you want to plug anything.
2: Oh gosh. Well, I'm on LinkedIn, Luke Lennon. Namesake right now, if you go to MTP's website, it's masstpc.org. You'll find a link to namesake and a bunch of resources for legal name gender marker changes in Massachusetts. You can also go to joinnamesake.com to sign up for our newsletter, and then you'll get all the information about product updates and things, especially if you're outside of Massachusetts. But I definitely welcome anyone that's doing similar stuff in this space to reach out. I love talking to fellow founders, folks in the innovation ecosystem or not. People that want to like learn more about how to like make a career pivot or want to talk poetry or food or pets. I am very much a community person and mean that in a way where none of our calls ever have to have direction. We could just be getting to know each other and then figure out how we can help each other along the way. So yeah.
1: Amazing. And yeah, I'll just do a double plug namesakes website has awesome resources. Like I bookmarked that for myself personally. So if you're listening, definitely check that out. Thank you so much, Luke. This has been so fun.
0: Really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Well, that was just as good as I remembered. What do you think, Felicia? I agree. It was so fun. Thanks again, Luke,
1: for being on the pad. We really appreciate it. And everyone check out the Namesake Collaborative. They're doing great work. Yes. So before you go, we have a couple things we want to share with you, depending if you listen to this in a timely fashion. And if you're listening to this, delayed long after this has been recorded, then you'll just have to either skip ahead or or close out. But for those of you who are here, who are listening to this timely, we have a couple things coming up. So the company will be shut down for the last week of August. We're all taking a well-deserved break. So you can check us out on the internet, but we just won't respond till September. But coming up in September, we have a few things that we'd like to let you know about. So first we have a webinar coming up on the 19th of September, which is all about integrating embodiment and somatics into your DEI work. That is free. There, I believe, are still tickets available. Sign up for that. It should be a really great time. We have a workshop on the 29th of September for emotional intelligence. So if that's something that you're interested in and you'd like to learn more about EI, EQ, what's it all about? Check that out. That also has some tickets available still. So grab one while they're still up. And then what else is coming up on your front, Rachel?
0: Yeah, we also have our second annual virtual Get a Job You Love Summit. That's happening on September 21st. It's a half-day summit. It's completely free. And we have some incredible coaches that are going to talk about, wait for it, how to get a job you love. What? I I know. We named it really well. I feel like we we really crushed it on the- I think that was like on the 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 nail. (laughs) (laughs) Randy. On the nail. (laughs) On the nail nose. (laughs) It's a thing, right? It is. It's a nail on the head.
1: I'm making it a
0: thing. On the nail. Nail, head, nose. You know what? Listeners, if any of you are still here, here's the reality. Flish and I, this is like our third take of this closing. (laughs) We are cooked. We are (laughs) fried. So we are very happy to be taking a little time off. And thank you all for listening. We appreciate Um, (laughs) that. We really, really do. So please don't forget to rate, share, and subscribe. It does make a huge difference in the reach of this podcast and by extension this work. So please make sure to tune in for our next season coming up in October.
1: Yeah. And if you're looking to further your own knowledge and gain support alongside other incredible people, why not check out our free community? You'll get a welcoming built-in support system grounded in the values of diversity, equity, and inclusion. You'll have access to bonus episodes, additional resources, courses, webinars, coaching, and much more. So check that out at risetogether.shegeeksout.com.
0: Huzzah! Huzzah! See you in the fall! See you in the fall. Hear you
1: in the fall, I guess, is more appropriate. For, yeah,
0: hear you. Well, actually, no, because we're going to be doing video. So oh, you're right. welcome, everybody. See you and hear you. That's right. Or see us and hear us <laughs> in the fall. <laughs> a <Sweada> weather. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye.